If you would, open your Bible to uh, Joshua chapter 4. If you received a copy of the bulletin uh, as you came in, this uh, document you received as you came in, if you look on the back, there are some notes that will guide us through our time. We're going to keep this theme going of remembering, reflecting. What does it mean to look to the past to make sure we don't move too quickly past what God has done in and through our lives? And so we're going to try to think now, how does Joshua chapter 4 help us to hold on to these things that we've participated in through the Lord's Supper, that we've seen about, that we'll continue to meditate on them, continue to think about them throughout the week? As you leave, if you've not been part of our Joshua series, there are going to be a couple of things you can pick up. Even if you don't think you'll ever be able to come back here uh, to Emmaus, we want you to be able to take these with you. There's a bookmark that will guide you through a reading plan we're using in Joshua. We'd love for you to be able to take that. If you don't have a personal Bible reading plan, you could use that. Equally so, there's a white journal that you can take that guides you through the same reading but gives you a place to write out Scripture, and it includes the Scriptures in there that we're seeking to memorize together. We've been working on Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 through 9 as our Scripture memory. Some of our children's Sunday school classes are working on this. I know some of you have talked to me about how you're working on this at home. I want to show you another way that you can use to memorize Scripture. So pull up Joshua 1, um, 8 through 9. Here's what we're going to do. Out loud, uh, we're going to speak, we're going to say together Joshua 1, 8 through 9. And then I want to show you a couple of slides that might, might be helpful for you. So here we go. On the count of three, we're going to say out loud... Or if you feel really brave and you want to show off for the people around you, you know, you can close your eyes or look down just to prove that you have it memorized uh, and everybody else doesn't. But either way, that's between you and the Lord. So uh, Joshua 1, 8 through 9. Here we go. 3, 2, 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Oh, then we're put on the spot to see if we know the next phrase. Keep going. Go to the next slide so we're not, we're not put on the spot. Oh, did I put them back to back? I did. Okay, there we go. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. For have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So one of the things that I'll try to do as I'm memorizing, as, as you're working through this, what you're going to find is that you probably know more of this than you actually realize that you do. One of the ways you can do that is you can write it out and, and intentionally leave holes or leave gaps. So go back to that slide there for Joshua 1. Just look at this for a second silently to yourself, if, if you're comfortable doing that, and see if you can fill in the gaps. Probably, even if you've not practiced this very much, you find yourself being able to fill in the gaps. And so what you, what you can do as you're practicing memorizing Scripture is go through it a few times, then create some, this is not, 
you know, playing Mad Libs. We're not just inserting any words that we want into. We're trying to get it correct, but we're trying to say, hey, you know what? If I create some gaps, I can really start to fill those in because I'm putting God's word in my heart. I'm beginning to think about it. This is something you can use for your kids. I, I know you're right on the edge. You don't want this to feel like homework. You don't want to feel like you're adding extra things in there, but this can be a cool exercise because you'll create some confidence for them, they'll realize, wait, I really can feel that. And if, if somebody can just get me started, then the pieces start to fall together. So I wanted you to see that, if that's helpful for you, from the oldest adult here down to parents who are helping their little kids work on these memory verses, being able to fill in the gaps and realize, hey, I, there's probably more of this than I know than I realize, that can be, a, can be a good thing for you. So, all right, let's go back to Joshua chapter 4 and, and jump into what we're going to look at this morning. Because of the time, we're not going to read all of this together at the beginning. We're just going to get started and then talk about the verses as we go. So we're not going to read it as one chunk. But we're just going to, uh, to get in there. What I want us to do is realize that as we come to Joshua 4, chapter 3 and chapter 4 are meant to fit together. They're really one full story. We've divided them up because of time in order to give emphasis. Last week we talked about God's power. Now we're going to talk about what they do in response to that power. And so what we're going to do is just emphasize a couple of things that really stand out from these verses. Look at verse 1 as we're getting started here. In verse 1 it says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them saying. Okay, a couple of things to point out from those first verses, especially if you like to highlight or underline your Bible. The first is the word finished. The word finished, um, and if you guys, I'm skipping the reading up there on the screen. If you'll jump all the way down the slide where I've got some things underlined. Um, I don't know what number it is, but it's down just a little bit. There's some things underlined. The word finished is an important word here because what it's showing is there is a completeness to what God has commanded the people to do. That they have come to this point and that they have not failed to do all that God has commanded them to do. So the word finish is a key word in here. Following from finish, it talks about how the people crossed over. We talked about the idea of boundaries being important in the book of Joshua, that they're moving from what might be considered an unholy place into a holy place. They're crossing this boundary. As you read the story, you start to realize it looks like they crossed the boundary multiple times, <laughs> that they keep going back and forth. The story in Joshua 4 is not told in the way we might expect. It doesn't follow a simple linear path. It follows more of a circular path where the writer will tell part of the story, then circle back and start the story over again, and then circle back and start the over, which is how some of you tell stories, because you can take a two-minute story and turn it into a 20-minute story. Like, you get started with the story, and then you realize you forgot to say something, so you circle back and pick up that part you forgot, and then you retell everything else that you already told, and then you realize you missed something, and you circle back. This is kind of how Old Testament storytelling goes, is it goes more in a circle, more in a spiral than it does a linear format. But it's showing how the people have crossed over. They come to this point that God's called them to do, and they've kept going. It says there in verse 2, or in ver into verse 1, the Lord had said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people from each tribe and command them. Once again, you're seeing an emphasis on God is speaking to Joshua and Joshua is giving the people those same commands. That what the people are doing here is not something they've made up on the spot. And I know that seems oversimplified, but don't miss 
The fact that God has told them to do this, this is the same God who spoke creation into existence. The same God who called out Abraham. The same God who appeared to Moses. The same God who is now directing them at this point is the same God who will continue to speak to his people ultimately through Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. And so when it says that God says, it's continuing this theme that when they come to the Jordan, they're not just saying, hey, we need to come up with a plan here. They're continuing to follow the commands of God. What does he tell them to do? He says to take, in verse 2, to take 12 men from the people. So there are the 12 tribes of Israel. Obviously, each one of these people is going to represent a tribe from, from the nation of Israel. The guys who deliver the rocks, who set the rocks up this week, I don't know that these are the size of the rocks that they ultimately took out of the Jordan. Uh, but if they did carry these rocks like this, you, just, you would not have wanted to mess with the Israelites uh, because we had to get these in here with equipment and, and not carrying them in here. So I had a really great idea that we were going to come up with this thing where we are going to have some of our kids carrying rocks in and set them up on the stage as part of this display. And then they called me and said, Owen, I don't think you've seen these rocks uh, <laughs> that we got. I don't think this that's a good idea, but I don't think that's going to work. So uh, we pre-positioned the rocks for that, that very reason. We have way too many lawyers uh, and insurance people among us to want to take a chance on something like that. But the point is here in verse 2 that it says, take 12 men from the people. This word take is used here for selecting the people. It's also the word that's used for taking the rocks out of the river. But here's a really interesting thing. The other place you see the word take in the book of Joshua will show up in chapter 7, verse 1. A little preview about chapter 7. It's where a man named Achan takes something that he's not supposed to take. In the book of Joshua, you have this contrast that's set up between the people taking what God has told them to take, and then later they're going to take something they're not supposed to take. This word shows up in those two situations to provide a contrast. Will they obey God's commands, or will they go their own way? So this is explicitly God says, no, take what I'm going to tell you to take. Take these rocks out from this, from this place. You go on down to three, uh, the end of three, command them saying, take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Once again, we see the priests are involved. The ark will show up again. So it's all the people gathered together. Everybody's involved in what's happening. It's not on the screen behind me, but if you skip down to verse 12 uh, in your phone or your Bible, you'll see where it mentions the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel. These are the tribes that had the land on the east side of the Jordan, but they're going to go over. What it's saying is everybody is involved in completing all the commands that God has given them. So nobody's left out. There's no commands that are left out. Everybody is bringing to perfect fulfillment what God has called them to do. You jump down to verse 6, and this is where you really get the core of what's happening. In verse 6, what's the purpose of this? That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So you have the word sign in verse 6, and you have the word memorial in verse 7. The other place 
in the Old Testament that you find those two words together is back in Exodus 12 and 13 where God is establishing the Passover. Where God is establishing for the people, you're about to go through the Red Sea. I'm going to pull you out of Egypt and we're establishing this Passover, how I'm going to work among my people. And it says there in Exodus 12 and 13 that when God calls them out that this Passover meal will be a sign and will be a memorial. So what is happening here is the crossing of the Jordan in Joshua 4 is being tied directly to the crossing of the Red Sea and the establishing of Passover. Why did we take the Lord's Supper this morning? Because as Jesus establishes that supper for his people, it also is meant to be tied to Passover. So in Scripture, you have a sign that's meant to point to something, this memorial. It goes from Passover to crossing the Jordan to the people of God gathered together around the body and blood of Jesus given for them. All of those things meant to go together. They're a sign that's meant to point to something to the fact that God alone brings salvation and gives life to his people, and they're supposed to be a memorial. You're supposed to do them so you don't forget who God is and what he's done among his people. You see this again in verse 21. If you skip down to verse 21, the same idea shows up. Joshua says to the people of Israel in 21, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what did these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. All of Joshua 4 is meant to remind the people of God's saving power, that he is merciful, that he is faithful, and that he will continue to guide them. Here's what I would want you to go home with today. The God who has been faithful in the past will continue to be faithful to you right now and for all of eternity. The God who has brought you to this point is the God who will carry you forward. And so we come to these times and we look back to say, God, I know what you did then. I know how you brought me to this place that you have been faithful to your people and you will continue to do that. And I can trust you and I will hold on to that. How are we supposed to remember? How do we do that? Well, the first on your notes, how do we remember? How do we reflect on God's salvation? Is we do what God's already told his people in Joshua 1.8, it's that idea that we would meditate on the book of the law, that we would think about the scripture day and night. As we meditate on scripture, what we're doing is we're looking back and we're catching a glimpse of how God has been faithful to his people. Why is it so important to read the Bible? Why do we, why do we say we need these stories in our lives, we need these truths in our lives? Because the same God who's at work in Scripture is the same God who is working now. And so when you look into Scripture, you see pictures of his faithfulness. You see how he saves his people. You see how he carries them through trouble. And you say, if he did that there, I know he will continue to do that. I know I can continue to trust him. So it provides a foundation. It also provides a filter That when we face things in our lives, we're always going to see them through certain lens. We're always going to try to make sense of them in certain ways. Meditating on Scripture provides a filter so that we're not thrown off kilter every time something shows up. We're saying, you know what? No, I can make sense of that. I have a way to understand that because of what I've seen in Scripture. The second way that we remember is when we gather and worship. And I said this at the beginning, but I know I kind of said it in passing as we were getting started. But when we gather together in worship, one of the purposes of that is to remember, to be reminded of who God is and what he's done in our lives. How do we do that? We do that through singing. We do that through scripture. We do that through prayer. 
We also do that through baptism and the Lord's Supper. The whole purpose of the Lord's Supper is that's a reminder. When you see baptisms take place, as you watch that baptism take place, you're remembering your own baptism. You're participating in that because you're thinking, what God has done in that person's life, I know he's done in my life. Or you might watch a baptism take place and you might say, you know what? I wonder if what God did in that person's life, he would do in my life. As we participate in worship, we are reminded. One of the dangers of not gathering with God's people in worship is that we quickly forget who he is and how he's been at at work in our lives. And when we forget, we start to fill in the gaps with our own ideas, with our own um, plans of what God would do. So we gather for worship. A third way we remember is what we might call ceremonies or, or key moments. There are times in your life that you can look back on and they are so distinct of I know God was at work in my life at that time in a powerful way. And we need ways, we need times that we're reflecting on that. Uh, this, this past Friday night, Amanda and I went out to celebrate our 13th wedding anniversary, which doesn't actually happen until tomorrow, but we had childcare on Friday night, so that was a good time to do it. So we went out. Part of celebrating a wedding anniversary is you begin to talk back. You begin to look back and think, wow, I remember when God carried us through that. And I remember when we faced that, but he's brought us to this point. And, and we're only 13 years into this game, so 30 years from now, we'll look back and laugh at ourselves 13 years in and say, wow, I remember how God carried us through that. We have these moments in life. Use your, your birthdays to do this. Do this for your kids at key moments in life. Some of you have objects around your house that are purposely there because they remind you of God's faithfulness in your life. You have something that when you look at it, you think, I remember when God did X. I remember how he brought us through that situation. I remember how he showed up at just the right time. I remember how he restored that relationship. Having those markers, having those moments are so key to go back to as we reflect on and we think about his goodness. Uh, Another way that this happens is through gospel conversations. One of the ways we remember is just by rehearsing the gospel with one another. At Emmaus, we need to have as many gospel conversations as we can among us. Sometimes we'll say churchy words like sharing your testimony, and that's, that's not a bad phrase. There's nothing wrong with that. When we share our testimony, though, we normally think about sharing that with somebody who's not a Christian. Maybe that's our way to go out and share the gospel. Once again, nothing wrong with that. But as a church, when we share the gospel with one another, when we share our testimony with one another, what God does is he reinforces in our hearts the goodness of the gospel. So my question for you really quickly is, when's the last time you shared a testimony of God's saving work in your life or or a story about God's faithfulness in your life with another member of Emmaus that maybe you don't know particularly well? Because when you start to share those stories, what you find is you find your heart's connected, you find similar stories coming together. Somebody says, oh wow, I thought I was the only one that went through that. Or I thought we were the only people that faced that. And so we're having these gospel conversations and the more we have those conversations with one another, the more they naturally overflow as we're talking with people who are not a part of the church. So what I just wanna reinforce is when we talk about sharing the gospel, we can start with sharing the gospel with one another And as God reinforces that work in our life, then it just becomes a natural part of how we live as we interact with friends and family and coworkers and schoolmates, all those different things coming together. So how do we remember? One of the ways we do that is just by sharing the gospel with one another. Now, you say, okay, that's great, Owen. Why does it matter? 
Well, that takes us to the next part. What's the danger of not remembering? The first danger of not remembering is that we just become prideful. We think everything begins and ends with us. We forget about what God has done in the past. History should make us a humble people. Now, it doesn't always work that way, but history should make us humble as we look back and we see how God's been at work. I know my generation can be the worst at that whatever's new is best, that life just started a few years ago with us. We know that's not true, but history has a way of humbling us and reminding us we're not ultimately in charge of what's happening. The second thing is we live in a world where you have the urgency of now and next. Everything is happening right now. You're being bombarded with so much information. There's so much urgency to act on that. Uh, you guys know my, I've shared openly about my love for Twitter and hatred for Facebook, but uh, <laughs> the, the danger of, of Twitter is like everything new is constantly coming back at you, except now that they've started adding that old stuff into your timeline, which messes it up. But Twitter has all this idea that's coming new. Facebook has one redeeming quality to it. You log in and it shows you a memory from a certain number of years ago. Uh, and so you see your kids from a few years ago and you think, oh, wow, I forgot that that, that that happened. When we're always faced with what's now and what's next, we never take time to think about what God did in the past. And we need to do that because if we don't do that, we forget. And when we forget, we become prideful. The third thing that shows up here is the idea that forgetting sometimes can be a coping, coping mechanism. Sometimes looking in your past is not the happiest thing to do. You look into your past and there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of hurt there. And we're too quick sometimes to just shut that out. But part of looking into the past is not living in shame. It's not living under that pain. But it's looking back there and saying, I know that situation was hard and I never thought I would get through it. But God carried me through that. God brought me through that. And so when we don't remember, when we don't go back and think about those things through a gospel lens, what we do is we shut out really key moments of God's grace in our lives. And so you need other people around you as you're doing that because that can be really painful. But we have to look to the past in order that we can begin to think about what's next. Which brings us to the next section. How do we really begin to apply this? Why is it so important that we remember? Well, the first thing that's on your notes there is that remembering, reflecting on God's salvation, is a way that we're able to interpret what happened in the past. That we're able to look back and say, you know what, I didn't understand it then, but now I see more clearly how God was at work at that point. In the moment, it's so hard to make sense of some of the things that happened in our lives. And I'm not saying that in this life, everything is going to make sense. There are going to be situations every day you're going to face that are ultimately just not going to make sense without being able to be seen in light of eternity. But when you do reflect, when you do look back, we're able to see Romans 8.28 coming true, that God really does cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And if we're not looking back, we're missing out on being able to make sense of them. And, and maybe making sense is not the right phrase there. Maybe it's more just seeing it in light of God's goodness, in light of God's plan, how he's at work. But we're looking back in order to be able to filter those things and make sense of them. And then what I think is really the most important one is number two. You look back in order to develop perspective for the present. That we remember that what God has done in the past is, order, 
in order to help us to make sense of what happens in the present. That when we're in the midst of the situation, we can look back and say, God, I know you were faithful then, and you will continue to be faithful now. This past week, I reached out to Mike Booth. Mike was the pastor here at Emmaus for 20 plus years, carried through Emmaus through some amazing years, and then our family came a couple of years ago. But I reached out to Mike and asked him, I said, give me some examples maybe of of God's faithfulness to Emmaus through, throughout the years. And so Mike talked about how in the early years when Emmaus was established in the mid-80s, everybody was waiting for this area of town to boom. And then you had the oil bust, and you had Penn Bank situation, and you had all these things that happened that kind of slowed down some of those things. But in the midst of that, there was a pastor here who led Emmaus through some of those early years of growth, Pastor Robin. And then Mike came in, and Mike said that in some of those early years, he remembers one time when Emmaus was receiving around $2,000 per week of offering, barely paying the bills, things were just holding on. Mike said that there was a gentleman who walked into his office gave him an envelope, stayed for a couple of minutes and walked out. He opened up the envelope and there was $12,000 in that envelope because this man was so excited about what God was doing at this church. And Mike said that as he went on and Emmaus would face these difficulties, he would always look back to that moment that that man walked into his office and handed him that envelope because he knew that if God was faithful then, he would continue to be faithful in the future. Which brings us to number three. When we look back at what God has done in our lives, it creates expectancy. It creates excitement about what is going to happen in the future. Don't misunderstand me here. When we're talking about God was faithful in the past, he'll be faithful in the present and future, it doesn't mean, and this is very important, it doesn't mean he will work exactly the same way in the future as he did in the past. In other words, what he did to carry you through that situation before He may not do it in the same way in the future, but his character will not change. He will still be good. He will still be in control. He will still be working for his glory, for the good of others, and for your joy. He will still be doing those things. And so when we look back, and this is something that Amanda and I have talked about a lot the last couple of weeks. When we look back and we think about what God's done in our lives, it makes us excited about what are you going to do next, God? Sometimes, if we're not careful, and I can be the world's worst at this, I think about what could be the next bad thing around the corner. Um, Now, that's a little insight into my troubled mind. (laughs) Uh, But we live with this idea of, man, so many things have happened. What is going to happen next? With the gospel, you can completely flip that and say, God was so good then, I can't wait to see him show up and work in a new way. What's he going to do next? So we can live our lives always worried about what the next bad thing is going to be that comes, or we can say, I cannot wait to see what God is going to do next. If you're in a situation in life that you feel stuck spiritually, you feel dry, you feel like, uh, you just, you, if somebody asked you to describe your spiritual life, you would just say, blah. You, know, you, you really don't know what to say. You just feel stuck. One of the ways that God uses it to get us out of those funks, to get us out of being stuck, is that we look to the past. If you're stuck right now spiritually, take some time to look back over your life. Journal, spend some time with friends and family, and rehearse some of the ways that God has shown up in your life. His salvation, his faithfulness, the way he's provided, 
the way he's carried you. And the more you start to rehearse that, the more you're going to be excited about what's going to come next. And he's going to take you from that situation, and he's going to move you to what's next. And what it does is it takes you to number four, that we begin to know and worship God. There in Joshua 4, if you skip down to verse 24, the whole way that this chapter ends, in chapter 4 down to verse 24, the whole way it ends is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The purpose behind God's work, the purpose behind us looking back and all the things he's done is that we would fear him, that we would worship him. We will either, we will either fear, fear the circumstances we can't control or we'll fear the God who is in control. Those are your two options. You will either fear the circumstances you can't control or you will fear the God who is in control. We talk about this idea of encountering fear and we use fight, flight, or freeze and we all have our ways that we respond to fear. What about faith? Why are fight, flight, and freeze the only option? Throw another option out there, faith. God, I can be afraid of what's happening right now or what might happen, or I can look to you in fear. I can look to you in worship. I can look to you in awe, and I will put my faith in you because you have been faithful in the past, and you will continue to be faithful in the future. And that leads you to number five, where it really starts to get fun. Number five is that you will begin to proclaim and display God's salvation to the next generation. We've already looked at these verses, but in verse six and verse 21, it talks about how the children are gonna come and ask their fathers, hey, what's the purpose for those rocks? What's going on here? And they're gonna be able to talk about God's faithfulness, about his power. God's faithfulness in your life is not meant to stop with you. When God saves you, when God sustains you, when God transforms you, when God provides for you, that's not meant to end with you. You turn around and you tell those stories to the next generation. Where Amanda and I are in life right now, we need to know that this is not the end of the road when it comes to parenting. We need people who have seen God carry you through those years to say, and he remains faithful and he will continue to carry you. My kids, I know this sounds like a cheesy example, but I can't tell you how powerful this is. My kids need teenagers who say, you know what, I went through middle school, <laughs> uh, or I'm going through middle school right now, and let me tell you how God used that, how God worked in my life. It's always meant that we would tell the power, the presence, all that God does, we would speak that to the next generation. Let me give you a challenge. If you're a parent, grandparent, godparent, aunt, uncle, something like that, you're, you're caring for a kid, do they know your testimony of God's saving work in your life? Have you ever shared your personal testimony of salvation with your kids and grandkids? We do a lot of funerals uh, here, here at the church just by nature of being in ministry. And it's always amazing to me how we get to that point of asking the family about the person's uh, salvation. And I know this, these are difficult times. They bring up a lot of emotions and memories. But how often they say, well, I know that th that person was a believer. They talked about the Lord, but I don't know their story of salvation. I don't know how God's been at work in their lives. Parents and grandparents, tell your kids the story of God's work in, in your life. They need to know that. They need to know what that looks like. And then that ultimately takes us to number six where we'll wrap up. 
that we would also not just proclaim and display God's salvation to the next generation, but we would proclaim and display that to the nations. That always stands out to me there in verse 24. Well, it starts in verse 23 where it says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. For what purpose? Verse 24, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Why does God work? Not only for his own people, but so that all people would look and know and see that he is good, that he is powerful to save, and that he will continue to sustain his people. You might say, yeah, 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 that's good. But how do I really know God is faithful? You keep using this word over and over. You keep saying God was faithful in the past. How do you really know that? What is the core of God's faithfulness? Here it is. It's Romans 8.31. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How do we know that the God faithful in the past will be faithful in the present and the future? It's because he did not spare his own son. The God who would give up his own son so that we would have life and salvation and hope, will never fail to bring to completion his perfect plans. How do I know I can trust him? Because Jesus died for you. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose again. Because of what God did for us through Jesus Christ, that is our hope, that is our foundation. I don't know what you're facing, I don't know what you're in the middle of, but I do want you to know that the God who has been faithful in the past will continue to be faithful, and it's because of his son, Jesus Christ. If you're having trouble trusting him, if you're trying to find a foundation for your life, turn to Christ. He's taken on all of your pain, all of your sin, all of your darkness, and he offers life. If you will trust him, if you will turn to him. I'm gonna pray for us Then we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a powerful song about God's work in in our life. At Emmaus, while we sing our final song, we pass the offering plates around, not as a distraction, but because giving, handing in your prayer card, giving your offering is part of our final worship before the Lord. So we're going to sing this song together. You're going to have an offering plate come in front of you. You're able to respond to the Lord in that way. Equally so, don't miss this. This is a time to respond in prayer. This is time to respond in commitment. We're down here at the front. We want to be able to pray for you. Maybe right there you just need to pray with your wife or husband or you need to pray with your parents. You need to pray with your friends saying, Lord, we'll trust you. We know that you've been good to us in the past and we know we can trust you for the future. All right, let's pray together and we're going to respond together as a church. Father, thank you for the story of Joshua 4. Thank you for the picture of these rocks on stage. Long after the people here forget what I've said, they're going to remember that Sunday that we put a whole bunch of big rocks on stage at Emmaus. And that's designed to drive us back to your word. To go back to Joshua 4, to see how that's connected to the Exodus, to see how that's connected to Jesus giving his life for us. God, all of your word ties together about your saving power. All of history testifies to your saving power. God, we want the next generation to know that. 
We want every nation on earth to know that. And God, that begins when we know that deeply in our own hearts. That you are powerful to save and that you will continue to be with your people. That you are faithful and you will not fail to bring everything to perfect completion. God, I pray that if there are people here this morning struggling with faith, struggling to trust you, maybe they're just stuck spiritually. God, would you cause them to look to the past to see your goodness? And then, God, would you give them joy and freedom as they seek to live for you this week? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.